Well, this is demonology lesson one. And there's often perhaps maybe no more mysterious or exciting topic to some as demonology. Everybody gets real spooky when it comes to demons. And then, of course, Hollywood makes them to be one way or another. But the Bible has something else to say about demons. There's all sorts of urban legend and Hollywood legend and then goofy Christian legend about our enemy. But what we want to do is see what the Bible has to say. We are not of those that think everything is a demon, because certainly that is not the case. But when there is a devil, we deal with it as the Bible prescribes. We understand that there are demons out there and that they are always working to hinder us, but they're not ever present. They're not omnipotent. They're not in any way like God whatsoever, except that they're a spirit and God is a spirit. That's where the similarity stops. But they're not omnipresent. That that means they're not everywhere. They they don't know everything. They're not all powerful. And so we can't go treating them like they have more power than God. Some Christians have more faith in the devil than they do Jesus Christ in the word of God. We don't want to be like that. Also, some Christians think every little thing that goes wrong is a devil. And that's not the case either. Some things just go wrong just because they go wrong. Some things are a devil, but most of the time it's just not. It's just an accident. So we want to just make sure as we walk through and study this, we don't get goofy. That we don't think everything that goes bump in the night is a demon. Sometimes it's just a cat fighting with another cat. Uh, Just because the lights flicker doesn't mean it's a demon. Just because the battery goes dead doesn't mean it's a demon. Or a flat tire, that doesn't mean it's a demon. We want to make sure that we keep everything balanced and wise because you can get really goofy where you're casting the devil out of refrigerators, you're casting the devil out of your dog, you want to cast the devil out of your husband or your children. And that's often not the case, it's just flesh. So just as my introduction, let's jump into this now. Lesson one, the origin and nature of demons. There are three powers at work in the earth today, and that's very critical to understand as a Christian. There's God's power, there's man's power, and then there's demon power. God's power, man's power, and demon power. Most people, including Christians, are only familiar with human power. That's like what Dr. Barclay taught when, uh, when he's been with us the last two times briefly. He talked about there are spiritual Christians And those are Christians that endeavor to be spiritual. They flow with the Holy Spirit. They have the fruit of the Spirit. Prayer is their answer for everything. And then they follow up with natural work. Then you have carnal Christians. Carnal doesn't necessarily mean sinful. Carnal just means you're just naturally minded. That's where a bulk of the body of Christ in America, unfortunately, sits. They're just naturally minded. They're just familiar with human power. They don't understand God's power. They don't understand demon power. In fact, many Christians anymore, they don't even believe in demons or the devil. They think it's just evil. Well, evil has a source. And then, of course, there are perverted Christians, going back to what Dr. Barclay taught. You have spiritual Christians, natural, carnal Christians, and then perverted Christians. We want to make sure we are spiritual Christians. We go to prayer for everything. We're in the word for everything. And then we do natural stuff. But we're not just holy, natural Christians. Not holy as in holy art thou Lord, but holy as in completely. We want to make sure we are spiritual Christians that realize there's a spiritual realm, that we are to be spiritual. We have the fruit of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit. We operate in the word that is God's spirit. That's what we want to be. But coming back to our lesson now, Many Christians are just familiar with human power, pumping your gas, lifting a, a, I don't know, a two by four, governments, politics, science. That's what most Christians are just familiar with. But there are three powers in the earth. God's power. Praise God. We need more of that. Our power. Everybody gets that. And then demon power. 
we must understand all three. Demons go by several different names in the Bible. They are called devils, unclean spirits, and evil spirits. All these terms refer to the same thing, but we will use the terms devils, demons, and the devil interchangeably. And that's just kind of a, just a clause at first, just to let you know, uh, we're not going to distinguish between an unclean spirit, a demon spirit, an evil spirit, or just a demon or a devil. They're, they're all basically synonymous. So we're going to use them all interchangeably just for the, the nature or the course of this, these lessons. So let's get to a definition now. And again, this is our introductory lesson, the origin and nature of demons. So let's get to a definition of demons. A demon is a disembodied spirit of malevolent, that's just a fancy word for evil, a malevolent power in assignment, seeking to hinder God's plans and destroy man's life. That's what a demon is, a disembodied spirit. That is basically a spirit that has no body. We are spirit beings, but we have a body. When our spirit is disembodied, we go to heaven. Paul taught us that in Philippians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We don't get to walk throughout the earth on a spirit walk. That's a demon thing. The Native Americans believe very big in spirit walking. That's straight up demonic. We don't do that. Now, we might in one instance, in one time in our life, by the Spirit of God, leave our body by the hand of the Lord, as they did in the book of Ezekiel, as they did in the book of Daniel, and even as Paul did. But that might happen to you once in your entire life. If you're doing that on a regular basis, you've got demons working in your life. All right? Demons are disembodied spirits of an evil purpose and assignment. They seek to hinder God's plans, and they want to destroy man's life. They work to make God look like a liar. Uh, and th- some of these things we ought to be able to start to perhaps diagnose our head. If you've ever gotten to where you question God's word, that's not you. You're set on it. Your heart is set on God's word. God's word is true. I believe it's true. But if you ever start having these thoughts, well, I just wonder, probably 99 times out of 100, that's not you just being curious. That's a demon trying to get you to question God's word. And it can be very, very powerful and very, very convincing. It can almost feel like it comes from within you. But that's how present and how convincing a demon can be because they just hate God. They hate God's word. With all of their heart, demons hate God and his word. They work to make God look like a liar every chance they can. They'll even try to orchestrate things to make God look like a liar. And that's where a lot of bad Christian doctrine comes from, such as the case of healing. Well, if healing is God's will, then how come so-and-so died of cancer? Well, that's a demon trying to make God look like a liar. We don't base doctrine on what we see. We base doctrine on what the Bible has to say. Amen? We'll cover more of this as we go along here. There are countless demons, and they know their time is short. So they don't waste any time. What do God Christians could be like that? We've got to realize our time is short and get after it. Demons know their time is short. They even told Jesus, have you come to torment us before the time? They're working overtime because they know they're running out of time. Our time is short. We're running out of time, whether that's for the rapture or some of you are in your 50s and 60s and 70s, you're running out of time too, just for natural death. You've only been given so many years to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. Even the Bible says, what is your life but a vapor? That's kind of insulting. Your life is here in the morning and gone by noonday. 70 years, 80 years, 85 years, 90 years at best. And even if you live to be in your 90s, there's not much you're going to do in the natural anymore. 
You're going to be probably homebound, a shut-in. The most you might get to do is pray. So our time is short. You gotta, Jesus said you got to work while it's light, for the darkness comes when no man can work. we got to get after it. Demons know this. In that regard, they're a little bit smarter than us, and they are working fervently. Their captain is Satan, formerly known as Lucifer. So there are demons, and then there is Satan. And that's something we need to distinguish. Now, we call him the devil, but Satan technically is not a demon. He is Lucifer. He is Satan. He is a fallen angel. He is the captain over demons, and in that regard, he is a different type of entity. In that he is different, his creation, in a sense, is different. His original job assignment was different. He is never referred to as a demon. He is called the devil, but he is not a demon. He is Lucifer. He is Satan. Called the devil. The Greek word is diabolos, where we get the term diabolical. But he is a different nature of creature. But he is the king and the God over all of these creatures. So where did demons come from? Or we might say Satan. Satan's origins. Now, this is where we can prove things quite interesting because some of you look at me like, wait a minute, Satan's not a demon? Not technically, he's not. Satan is a fallen angel. Demons are something different. We'll look into that. Satan's origin. So we, we have two things here. Satan's origin. The other one is the origin of demons. Satan's origin is very clearly presented in the Bible. And this, this list of bullet points here is going to come from uh, several verses that we've referenced at the bottom of this section. Satan is a created being. You, and we, I think we all understand that. Satan was created. He was the creation, a part of the creation of angels. The Bible lets us know in the book of Job, chapter 38, that angels were created before the stars ever were, and that angels were created before the planets ever were. That it appears from the Bible, just appears, may not be 100% accurate, but it appears angels were the very first thing God ever made. That's just what it seems to say. It doesn't say that point blank. But when the first thing that was made was the stars, and the Bible says, and the angels were there to rejoice, that kind of indicates they were there first. <laughs> All right? Satan is a created being. Hopefully, maybe I'm upending your Hollywood doctrine. I don't know. Or maybe your lack of doctrine or understanding. His or original name was Lucifer, which means light bearer. So we know Lu nowadays Lucifer is a dirty word. Lucifer. Ooh. It's, a, it's a godly name. It's the name God gave that angel. God ordained him to be Lucifer, light bearer. Now, because of what he became, it's just like the term Judas. Because of what Judas became, Judas, oh, bad. Even the term Jezebel, because of what she became, oh. Of course, Jezebel does mean worshiper of Baal, but, you know, and it's just a neutral name, but <laughs> a princess of Baal. Because of all that, we have a negative connotation with it. He was once the most anointed angel, the chief of angels, what the Bible calls the anointed cherub that covereth. So technically, he was a cherub. There are cherubim and there are seraphim in the rank and file of angels. He was a cherub. He was not a seraphim. He was beautiful, full of wisdom, and perfect from his creation. So this, this is Lucifer, light bearer, the chief of all angels. He was heaven's worship leader. The Bible says that basically musical instruments were created into him. The tabres were in his being. 
And so most theologians will agree that we could easily, safely say that he was heaven's worship leader. He led in the worship of Jehovah God, the great God Almighty. But because of his near perfection, he was lifted up in pride. He became filled with violence. He corrupted his wisdom and he defiled his sanctuaries. Now that stuff is what people do every day because I'm so good or I'm so beautiful or I can sing so well or I'm so smart. If you're not careful, you can be lifted up in pride. You can become filled with violence. We know the earth is filled with violence. The earth is filled with pride. We can corrupt our wisdom and you can use what you know to do sinful things rather than good things. And you can defile your sanctuaries. Uh, the King James makes it plural. So apparently he had multiple sanctuaries where he was operating. Whether that sanctuary would have been a temple or a tabernacle, we don't know. But he calls it a sanctuary, a domain, a dominion from which he worshipped and led worship. So he was over many of these. Uh, and if we're not careful, we can defile our sanctuary, not just this sanctuary in the local church, but the sanctuary of our home, the sanctuary of our family, the sanctuary of our marriage. If we're not careful, we can defile these things. And the devil would love for you to, because he did it originally. He knows how to do it. Therefore, God called him profane. That's not a very good term. And he cast him out of the mountain of God and promised to destroy him. God has not destroyed Lucifer yet. That is yet to come. God has not done it yet. We don't know why, but in God's perfect wisdom, God did not instantly destroy him. Now, if it were me, I probably would have. I'd have thumped him, squished him, and I don't know what God does, but I would have done that. But for some reason, in God's wisdom, he decided not to instantly destroy him, but he said, I will. And he cast him down, and he said, hell from beneath will rise up to swallow you. That hasn't happened yet. God cast him to the ground and promised to bring forth a fire from the midst of Lucifer and devour him. That's, that's a, not a good promise. It's a biblical promise. But he said, I will bring forth fire out of the midst of you and I will consume you. Lucifer's sin began in his heart. And this is where we can really begin to apply it to ourselves. And before he ever did anything with his being, whether it be with his spiritual hand or we know from the revelation that his tail swept a third of the stars with him and we know that means he pulled a third of the angels to destruction with him. Before he ever did anything, the Bible lets us know he was judged based on what he said in his heart. We've taught exclusively in this church quite a bit about what we say in our heart. And Lucifer was the first person or creation to ever be judged based on what he said in his heart. His entire judgment came upon him because of what he said in his heart. Not what he did in the outside, not what he did with his mouth, not what he did with his tail sweeping a third of the stars from heaven, what he said in his heart. So his sin began in his heart. He had five I wills. He said, I will ascend into heaven. No, you're not. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, that can be allegorical as to mean the other angels. He will exalt his throne above all the other angels because stars are representative of the angels. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation. I will be on top of the congregation. Now, these are easily beginning to speak to us about folks who jockey for position who want the preeminent seats, the chief seats, as Jesus Christ warned us to not seek. Lucifer was the pioneer of seeking chief seats and politicking. 
We have to be careful that as Christians, we are first and foremost servants. And even as Jesus taught us in the gospels, we are to uh, be servant of all. And he that will be greatest shall be least of all. And the first shall be last and the last shall be first. What we're seeing in Lucifer is his heart to want to be over things. And it almost looks like in a backstabbing fashion, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'll be the best. Don't you realize you were already made what God wanted you to be? We have to be very careful as Christians. We don't try to be something God didn't want us to be, that God didn't intend for us to be. We see that manifested in Jezebel attitudes. That's a woman wanting to be a man and run the show. We see it in politicking where you're wanting to steal authority. We see it in vainglory where you want to draw all the attention and worship to yourself rather than to Jesus Christ. We see that coming out in Lucifer in the very beginning. He said, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Five I wills, and all of them are about pride and self-exaltation. He was wanting to exalt himself above the seat and the position God had previously given. We have to be like Paul and say, I am what I am by the grace of God. You have to be content with what God has made you to be. You've got to be content with the position God's given you. You've got to be content in the arena God has given you. And if God sees fit to promote you, then God will see fit to promote you. But if not, you don't go beat somebody up to step on their back. You don't go try to do these things to promote yourself because it'll only get you cast down. His rebellion lasted a split second for he was cast out of heaven like a bolt of lightning. How long does lightning last? Not very long. But ima- I, don't, I don't know how it worked, but we can imagine he, he somehow instantly produced all these things in his heart. And the second it engaged, he was cast down like lightning. And that's, we know how quickly God judges sin. The second it engages, cast down. We often want to blame everybody but ourselves for demotion. But the Bible says promotion comes from God. The Bible also lets us know demotion comes from God. And the second the fulfillment of your sin hits it, you get demoted. Uh, Being cast out of heaven to the earth is quite a demotion. (laughs) Yeah. Satan took a third of the angels with him in his rebellion. He is still a cunning and violent creature, and you cannot forget that. He is a promoter of violence. He is defeated, but he is not to be contended with in the strength of man. Uh, We we often get a little cocky sometimes as word people and as people who know our authority and we want to say boastful things about the enemy. But truth be told, if we were that victorious over him, we wouldn't circle the same mountain a hundred times a year. So he is a defeated foe. Yes, absolutely. But only in Christ. And if you're not walking in Christ, you will not have victory over him. He will own you, though you are purchased by Jesus Christ. We don't want to get cocky or arrogant. Uh, years ago, Brother Sumrall, he, he tells the story that he was writing a book on Satan, on demonology, and he was writing a chapter currently in the book called The Devil's Nothing But a, a Scarecrow. And the point of the chapter was that, you know, he has no real substance. I mean, he has arms, sure, but they're full of straw. He has legs, sure, but they're full of straw. He has a face, sure, but he's packed full of straw. And he was trying to teach the body of Christ that the devil is a defeated foe and that there's really nothing to him as long as you know who you are in Christ. And he said in the middle of that writing that book and in writing that chapter, he was visited one night by a demon. And the demon said, 
he shook him and he said, my name is Apollyon and I destroy nations and I destroy cities and I will destroy you and I am no scarecrow. <laughs> and Brother Sumrall said after that whole vision and experience, he said, all right, he's no scarecrow. And he said, I never finished the book, I threw it away. For that demon to know he was writing, you know, you, when you write a book, you don't talk about it. You just sit at the typewriter and you type. But for this demon to know that this great Lester Sumrall, who probably cast out more demons than anybody since the apostles, that the demon wanted to let him know, I am no scarecrow. I am Apollyon, and I destroy nations, I destroy cities, and I will destroy you. Even Lester Sumrall, who probably had more confidence in casting out demons than anybody in our whole generation, even he realized all right, let's not underestimate this enemy and let's be a little bit more respectful of the authority and the power he does walk in. Not to be afraid of him, but even police who have guns and weapons, they don't treat the criminals with that lack of respect. You have to have a healthy respect. I'm not afraid of rattlesnakes, but I have a healthy respect for what they're capable of. Amen. He is defeated, but he is not to be contended with in the strength of man. Even Michael, the archangel, did not contend with him in his own strength, but said, the Lord rebuke you. That's when they were contending for the body of Moses back in uh, the end of Exodus. All right, so we have some scripture references there that tell you where we've taken all those bullet points. That is the origin of Satan. The Bible's very clear on that. We have no questions whatsoever about the origin of Satan as far as you know, where is he from? The Bible's very clear on that. But the origin of devils or demons is a little bit foggier. And so let's look at that here. The origin of demons. The origin of the lesser demons is not as clear as Lucifer's. And there are three major teachings on the origin of these satanic underlings. All right. Three major teachings. We should say perhaps three main theories if we can use the term theory and Bible. Three main biblical theories or teachings as to where do these demons come from. First one, no particular order, there's a common teaching and belief that demons are fallen angels. I think we've all heard that. Maybe, maybe some of you believe that. And, and let me just be clear here. With this, these three sections here, you can believe what you want to. We don't care. It doesn't matter what you believe, which one of these three you prescribe to. It doesn't matter. You can all find a little bit of biblical proof for and all find a little bit of biblical proof against. It doesn't matter where they come from. In the end, we just cast them out. But we want, we're teaching this, so let's discuss it. So the first theory is that all demons are fallen angels. One common teaching is that the unclean spirits slash demons are the fallen angels that rebelled with Lucifer in heaven. The Bible says everlasting fire is prepared for the devil and his angels. And that's one verse that backs it up. Now, a verse that kind of contradicts this teaching is the fact that it says in Jude that the angels that kept not their first estate or their first principality, uh, but rebelled with Lucifer, he says that they are preserved in everlasting chains waiting for damnation and judgment. So Jude would seem to say those angels that rebelled with Lucifer, they're already in hell. Which would mean, according to Jude, that these, these demons that we deal with and cast out all the time, that they can't be fallen angels because Jude says the fallen angels are already in chains waiting. All right? So I, I, I can see that and I can understand that. The second teaching is that demons are the disembodied pre-Adamites. What in the world is that talking about? Well, uh, this is a teaching that demon spirits are the spirits of a race of beings that lived on the earth before Adam and Eve and were judged for rebelling with the fallen angels. 
Now that theory goes something like there was a race on the earth before Adam and Eve, and there may have been. The Bible kind of says some things maybe about it, but the Bible doesn't cover that scope of time. We know that there was something on the earth before Adam and Eve because we know from Genesis chapter one that the earth was restored, not created in Genesis 1, 1 through 1, 7, but it was actually the restoration. We know that Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void. Well, the question is always asked, since when does God make anything without form and void? Next part says, and darkness covered the face of the deep. Since when does God create something in its darkness? And that, that is called the gap theory in theology that basically between Genesis 1-1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and verse 2 and the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. In between 1-1 and 1-2, something happened, a cataclysmic judgment. That is where most folks believe Satan was judged and it brought darkness and chaos to the earth which would indicate there, there was something thriving here before that cataclysmic judgment and chaos before Satan's fall. So one popular line of teaching on the origin of demons is that there was a race of creatures called the pre-Adamites or people that were here before Adam, pre-Adamites. And that because perhaps they rebelled with Lucifer in a rebellion against God, that as they were judged, their spirits, because there was no salvation for them, they have become wandering spirits in the earth looking for bodies to inhabit. Uh, Brother Hagen, he, he was a proponent of this theory, and he taught that might explain why they're always seeking to possess bodies, because they used to have bodies, and now they want to get back into a body because they, they were always seeking bodies. They, when they're cast out of a man, Matthew says, they seek rest, find none. And they say to themselves, I'll go back to my house. And if I find it swept and garnished, I'll enter back in and bring some buddies with me. And so that might be an explanation why they're always wanting to possess. Because they used to have a body and it seems to do something for them to be back in a body. That's the second teaching, disembodied pre-Adamites. For me personally, if you want to know what I believe, I don't believe the first one and I don't believe the second one. I'm a proponent of the third one, disembodied Nephilim. All right, a third teaching states that the demon spirits are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Nephilim are the offspring of fallen angels and women as Genesis 6 relates. Now, even the teaching on Nephilim is controversial in the body of Christ. Nobody wants to believe that demons can have sex with women and produce an offspring, but it's actually been reported even in our country that demons do have sex with women. It's relatively common, even in America, among satanic circles. Now, their ability to reproduce offspring in this day and age I don't know, I don't think we see that, but the Bible relates that these things are called Nephilim, men of renown, giants. And so it is a commonly held doctrine that that is one of the main reasons God judged the earth in Genesis 6 with the flood was to wipe out the offspring called Nephilim. When the sons of God came down and took among for them the daughters of man and they had offspring, men of renown called the Nephilim. The Hebrew word is Nephilim, mighty ones. I believe this and this is where I want to be very cautious and tell you again, it doesn't matter where they come from, whether they are fallen angels, whether they are pre-Adamites or whether they are Nephilim spirits, we don't care. We just cast them out wherever they are. Whether they visit you, whether they buffet you, whether you're praying for somebody and they growl at you and spit at you, it doesn't matter what they come from. But since we're discussing this in depth as a teaching, let me throw my, my condition out there. Why I believe Nephilim 
but it doesn't ultimately matter. I believe the Nephilim, the disembodied spirits of Nephilim are the demons because the, the uncanonized book of Enoch, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book of Enoch, it's not in our canon. It's a massive book. It is about the time uh, Exodus was written. Jesus Christ quoted the book of Enoch. Peter quotes the book of Enoch and Jude quotes the book of Enoch. We don't have it in our Bible for some reason. The early church did use the book of Enoch. So with that, there might be some credibility to it, but it's not in our canon. Therefore, we don't go study it. But the book of Enoch says talks about the flood and it says that God wiped out the giants and that these giants, that their spirits became unclean spirits in the land. That is why I believe it. That is why some theologians believe it. I believe that more than the fallen angels because Jude discounts that. I believe that more than the pre-Adamites because the Bible just doesn't say much about a pre-Adam race. But in the end, I will say this, it doesn't matter. We know they're out there. Jesus Christ believed in demons. He cast them out. And every one of you have been buffeted by one. So we know they're real. It doesn't matter where they come from. We just cast them out. We resist them. We rebuke them. We preach against them. And we just go on with Jesus. But we got to cover all that if we're studying demonology. All right? If you have any questions, email me or text me or put them in the offering and we can try to address it. Ultimately, it doesn't matter where they came from because the born again believer still has authority over them to cast them out, rebuke them and resist them. So demon nature, move on to our next section here. Their sole ambition, the demon nature, is to pervert, hinder, hurt or destroy us. They want to pervert, hinder, hurt or or destroy us. They never sleep nor slumber, and they are more familiar with us than we are with them. So we need to be very mindful of this. Ephesians 6:11 says, "Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, trickery, strategies of the devil." 2 Corinthians 2:11 says, "Lest Satan should get an advantage or outwit us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, his schemes, and his purposes." I'm going to read those two verses again because they're why we have to study demonology. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the trickery, and the strategies of the devil. And lest Satan should get an advantage and outwit us. You know, he's very witty. He's very cunning. For we are not ignorant of his devices, his schemes, and his purposes. We are not to be ignorant. If Paul said we are not ignorant, it might, it might allude to the fact that some Christians are ignorant of his devices and his schemes and his purposes. These two verses indicate that our adversary has tricks, strategies, wild schemes, purposes, and devices, all designed to hurt mankind. The Bible implores us to not be ignorant of our enemy. Here's a brief description of our enemy. We must know our enemy. Now listen, the devil is very successful against us. More than we'd like to acknowledge, we're not here to glorify him, but we could all be a little bit further down the gospel road. We could all have accomplished a little bit more by now. We all have things we're ashamed of in our past. Some of that we can blame on flesh. Some of it we can blame on stubbornness, but some of it the devil has to take credit for. And we study these things so that we don't fall into the same traps over and over again. We understand that demons are assigned to us just as angels are, and they study us. Dr. Barclay likes to point out in using a term we would understand, they have a dossier on us. They've watched us from the time we were little children. We know from the Bible that children can be possessed of demons. 
They are assigned and they, they study us. We've cast devils out of little children or prayed them off here in this ministry. They, they know what works against you and they know what doesn't. Now we all have this, not all of us have the same sin, but we all have familiar sins. We all have sin that we deal with over and over and over again. And it isn't all flesh. It isn't all just the way we've always been. I'm very much convinced a lot of it is just the enemy setting up circumstances and situations that keep us looping that thing. They, the devil knows how to activate our flesh. Just like the anointing of God can come upon you and activate your natural ability and make your mind sharper and even the anointing of God come upon you and strengthen your natural muscles and your natural flesh, demon power has the ability to do the same thing. It can come upon you and activate weird desires, weird flesh, weird carnality, weird anger. And we'll study that in the weeks ahead. We have to be mindful that not everything that we do dumb is our fault. Now, we take responsibility for it. But there are times when it's just a demon orchestrating something, and all of a sudden you'll say, why am I so eat up with the desire to go get drunk? I don't drink. Why, why all of a sudden? That's not you. You weren't even thinking about it. Why all of a sudden do I hate Greg? I don't hate Greg. Why, why, why maybe I do. It's not you. You weren't even thinking about it. Why all of a sudden do I want to go watch porn? That's not me. I don't even think about that stuff. That's a demon. Now, again, that doesn't make us so super spooky that we're casting the demon out of a light bulb, but we have to be knowledgeable about how this thing works. If you could see into the spirit realm, it would probably freak you out as to how much demon activity is going on, but there's also angelic activity. There's also the glory of God moving in the earth. So, again, I don't want us to become so hyper-demon conscious over the next five weeks that you know, the microwave sparked at me. You, there's a piece of metal somewhere in the, in the microwave. You did this on accident. Uh, I've, had, I've had fish spark at me in the microwave before. And I remember, I didn't think it was a demon. I thought, I wonder if that's mercury in my fish. What piece of metal heated up in the microwave to spark at me? Do I want to eat it? Fish, a fish fillet should not spark in the microwave. It's not a demon. So I don't want us to get that goofy, but I also want us to be wise though and realize that not everything is you. Not everything is you. We do have an enemy who's always constantly working, looking for an entry into your life. You just have to be mindful of that. These two verses indicate that our adversary has tricks, strategies, wiles, schemes, purposes, and devices, all designed to hurt mankind. The Bible implores us not to be ignorant of our enemy. Here's a brief description of our enemy. Know your enemy. So point one, just as humans are personalities, demons have personalities, and they will make you what, you, what they are if you yield to them. So an angry spirit will cause you to have anger issues. Now, before you start thinking that your wife has an angry demon on her, notice that all these are also personality things. These are also emotions. You can get angry and it's not a demon. It's just your football team can't get their act together and you're mad. Or it may just be your two-year-old will not stop yelling and that can get you a little angry. Or maybe it's your wife and she won't stop. Or maybe it's Greg and he just won't stop and that's not a demon. On Greg it is, but on me it's not. <laughs> So before you say, oh, that's it. My wife, she's got a demon. Pastor said so. I didn't say that. <laughs> a jealous spirit, the book of Numbers talks specifically about a jealous demon, that it'll get upon you and make you jealous. But you can have jealousy just for natural sake. Also lust, a lustful thing will make you lustful. But you can have lust all on your own too. 
Homosexuality, that's a spirit. It will make you a homosexual. Hypnotism, unclean spirits, confusion, etc. We also like to point out, I want to point out that the Holy Spirit, when he rests upon you, he will make you holy. But you can also be a little holy on your own too. Just want you to see that demons have personalities and they will always make you what they are. Demons lack bodies, so they seek to possess a body. Human bodies give demons their widest range of expression. When they possess somebody, it gives them a way to do stuff and to influence more people. As long as they're assigned to you, they can only affect you. But if they can get in you, you're around 100 people. They can affect and pervert a lot more people through your mouth, through your typing. I've read emails and I've read uh, Facebook posts that were demon-inspired. I've read letters that were demon-inspired. Reading, I've had phone calls with people I knew were demon-possessed. And I, I could tell on the inside by what it did to my spirit man, I could say, that was inspired of a demon. A human being didn't write that Twitter twit, tweet. A demon did. A human being didn't write me that email. A demon did. It, the inspiration. But when they're just assigned to one person, all they can mess with is one person. They are patient and well-planned, having strategies and intellect. They're, they're, not this, they're not like a fly that just thinks about either laying maggots or eating food. They have plans and strategies and purposes, and they never stop. They're constantly watching us, looking for that angle in. They have three or four things that they know work on us because they've, they've assigned themselves to us and they know our weaknesses. And like we covered last week, finishing up Nehemiah, if it isn't syncretism, it's discouragement. If it isn't discouragement, then it's syncretism. If you resist syncretism or sin, then it's back to discouragement. And as that pattern goes back and forth, the enemy will do that in your life. And maybe your three sins are anger, insecurity, and lust. And if you won't give in to lust, then they'll give you an insecure, he'll push insecurity on you, then he'll push anger. And you'll end up chasing these three things your whole life, wondering why you can't go anywhere because you're perhaps more yielded to the demon than you are the word of God in the spirit of God. And the devil knows as soon as you start to be promoted by God or to start to do good, I'll hit one of these three buttons. They'll always fold. And he hits the angry button. Well, they're resisting that. Oh, I got two more buttons. In, in, insecurity. No, no. Insecurity. They, they've shored that up. Lust. Oh, there it is. They haven't defeated lust yet. Got them. And you get to start back over again. And you wonder, we wonder why in 10 years of serving Christ, we've gone nowhere. We can't be ignorant of these things. Their number one strategy is to attack the word of God. The very first thing Lucifer is recorded as saying in the Bible is, hath God really said? He's still saying the same thing today. They are organized into rank and file, principalities, powers, might, dominion, spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a strict rank and file to them. In that regard, they're more organized than the American churches. They're organized. They take orders. They are hopelessly evil and they cannot be redeemed. A lot of folks right now are teaching that Lucifer will even go to heaven when it's all said and done, which is heresy. They are awaiting their ultimate destruction. They even told Jesus, have you come to torment us before the time? We adjure thee by God that thou torment us not. Jesus didn't say, oh, oh, you haven't heard? I'm redeeming everything. Jesus just said, shut up and come out of them. He didn't bother to correct the, the doctrine and say, oh, no, 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 you're not, no, I'm not here to torment you. I'm here to save you. He didn't say that. He cast them out. 
Demons are not the spirits of dead humans. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. A lot of folks think demons are the disembodied spirits of human beings. And that's why ghosts aren't really ghosts. They're demon spirits. Ghosts are not ghosts. They are demon spirits. Houses aren't haunted by the people that used to live there. Houses are haunted by demons. They might look like a human that you know. In fact, even our missionary friends in India, they, they had this, this really creepy picture that a bunch of their friends were at this famous river where they toss their dead babies or they throw their babies in to drown them when they don't want them. And there's a sign there. And Pastor Brad Hofen and his wife, Richetta, they were showing us this picture. They said, look at this picture. It was a night. I'm getting chills thinking about it, but that's, that's not the Holy Spirit. It's just me getting the willies. Um, there's this picture. I have it on my computer. And all these guys from their church are standing by kind of almost making fun of this thing that says the river of dead babies in Hindi. And in between them, there's a little girl in the background. It is creepy as all get out. It looks like something out of a Hollywood movie. He said, we took this with a cell phone. He's, and he zoomed in on it. And I said, that's a little girl. He said, you ain't kidding me. That's a little girl. He said, that's a demon. But it's right there in, under their arm. They've got their arm on a sign. And there's this little girl in a white gown Black hair, looks something straight out of a Hollywood movie. Taken in and you get in the willies too. <laughs> it's a demon. It's all it is. It's not the disembodied spirit of a little girl that a Hindu woman drowned. It's a demon because that's where they're sacrificing babies. I may throw it up on the jumbotron and give you the willies next week or something. It, I was going through my, eye, my uh, eye photo cleaning up pictures and I came upon it and I went, ooh, that gives me the willies. <laughs> uh, demons have a will and they have wants. And they will get them no matter what they want unless you resist them. There are no new demons. There's not a demon factory in hell making newer model demons. Now, these are the same ones you've dealt with all your life. Demons will make you what they are. They are perverters. They're not creators. They pervert. Demons can transform themselves into angels of light. Let me throw this out at you, and maybe this will encourage you. I've had many demonic encounters, even more so since I've been pastor. Not casting out demons, though we have cast out demons since I've been pastor. I'm talking about demonic visitations and buffetings and attacks. I will tell you this of demons. They can pass themselves off as the Holy Spirit very easily. And if you don't know the word, if you endeavor to be in the spirit realm, because a few of you are hyper spooky, you will very much yield the demons and not even know it. That is why I am a stickler for the B-I-B-L-E. We want to know the Bible. That's why I lean against prophecy, though the Bible says desire prophecy. But I know how dangerous it is in the spirit realm. And the fact that Paul said even Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. How many folks have been deceived by that angel of light thinking it was an angel of God or even the Holy Spirit, but when in fact it was a demon? This is just something we have to be very, very cautious of. I don't try to be led by the Holy Spirit. I just do my thing. I spend time in the word. I spend time in prayer. Even when I go to prayer, I don't look for words. I don't look for voices. I don't look for ghoulie bumps. I just go to prayer to talk to God and I just go about my business. If you're not careful as a spiritual Christian or a spiritual endeavoring Christian, you can end up very superstitious. And one of the things we're going to start teaching on Wednesday nights is how idolatry and superstition are very much wrapped up together. And the word of faith movement is a very superstitious bunch of Christians.
And since we in this church are word of faith, I would venture to say most of us have a lot of superstition in us and it is hurting our Christian walk. It's all part of the whole thing called religion. But we are probably way more superstitious than we want to acknowledge. We may not rub rabbit's foots or throw salt over our shoulders or rub beads when we pray, but we're doing something just as superstitious. And we pass it off as God. So I want you to see this very critical. Demons can pass themselves off as angels of light. And just so you're not confused, how do I know the difference? How much fear is in your life? Fear is the first indicator of idolatry and superstition. But in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy and perfect love casts out fear. When you're afraid that you didn't pray the perfect prayer, you're superstitious. When you got to make 1,500 faith confessions, it's the equivalent of rubbing a rosary. That's superstition and it's driven by fear. It's not the spirit of God because we've not been given the spirit of fear. We'll teach on that on Wednesdays for the next several months. Demons have doctrines they seek to get into the church. Demons cannot be cast into hell, nor do they come from hell. That's an often Pentecostal thing. Come out, you demon from hell. They're not from hell. So you're showing your ignorance. You might yell louder, but he's just going to know you don't know what you're talking about. They are bound to the earth for this season. They roam dry places when they are cast out. You can't cast them back into hell. Jesus said they roam dry places, not hot places. Dry places. If, if anybody could cast him into hell, it would have been Jesus, but he didn't. In fact, he cast some out into pigs. So where in the world did we get this doctrine? Go back to hell, you demon. Just goofy ignorance. If anything, it's more biblical to say, go, go, go find some pigs, demons. But Jesus never cast him into hell, nor did Paul, yet Pentecostals do. Maybe they bounce back and come back. I, I don't know. It just shows our <laughs> biblical ignorance. They roam dry places when they are cast out, finding rest, looking for rest and finding them. Demons may depart from you, but they are very likely to return again after a season and check on the availability of your life. You may have resisted them for a season, but they could come back. We know they will. The Bible says they depart for a season. They're assigned to you. They'll be with you till you go home to heaven. And you just have to learn how to master it. You guys know my own personal testimony that I, I was assigned a, a spirit of death from my childhood. And three years ago, it attacked me very severely. That thing still visits me from time to time. In fact, I was just sharing with Ginger. I said, flying with Dr. Barclay two weeks ago, that demon was talking to me the whole time. This plane is going to crash. This is the Holy Spirit telling you not to get on the plane. This plane is going to crash. Just like Dr. Dufresne's plane just crashed. You're going to die. What will you do about the baby on the way? What will you do about Lydia? You'll never see her get married. It's a real thing. And I just sat there and said, I know you. I know your voice. We've dealt very intimately with each other. I resist you. Go away. I might have said go to hell, but it really wasn't biblical. I was just more of an angry thing. Go away. I'm getting on this airplane and I'm flying with my pastor. He's not concerned, I'm not concerned. And you just have to resist it. And it departed. And it'll probably come back again in a few weeks and talk to me some other time. You'll never shake this thing. But once you recognize how it sounds, you'll always know how it sounds and you'll always be able to resist it. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but we do wrestle with this demon realm. Uh, that's what the Bible says, Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against what? principalities and powers. There is a wrestling to be done. 
Some folks want to ignore that verse, but there is a wrestling to be done. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Let us charge forward with great confidence and victory. Father, I thank you for this first lesson on demonology. Bless our time here. Father, I thank you for strengthening us, giving us the victory over the enemy. May we be wise and not ignorant any longer. In Jesus' name, amen.